You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> We're going to be in Acts 27 today, Acts chapter 27. We're going to be a little all over the place because uh, it's a massive uh, chapter. We're going to read just parts of it. Um, but would you stand with me if you're able, and we'll read God's word this morning together. So this is God's word for us today. It says this, Now, <clears throat> when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to turn Paul and some other prisoners over to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Verse 9. When considerable time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous. Since even the fast was already over, Paul started admonishing them, saying to them, Men, I perceive the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our, of our lives. But before long, a violent wind uh, called a Urquillo, Urquillo, rushed down from the land, and when the ship was caught in it and could not head up into the wind, we gave up, and we let ourselves be driven by the wind, running under the shelter of a small island called Cauda. We were able to get the ship's boat under control only with difficulty. After they'd hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and let themselves be driven along in this way. The next day, as we were being violently tossed by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their very own hands. <clears throat> Excuse me, with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us. From then on, all hope of our being saved was slowly abandoned. Verse 21. When many had lost their appetites, Paul then stood among them and said, Men, you should have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and thereby spared yourself this damage and loss. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night, an angel of God, to whom I belong, whom I also serve, came to me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has graciously granted you and all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, <clears throat> for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told." but we must run aground on a certain island. And so this is God's word for us today. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. And so we say, thanks be to God. I just want to pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for its uh, timelessness and this dramatic story, these pictures that you uh, inspired Luke to write, and this, this history and this, this amazing account of a shipwreck. Um, Lord, we, we thank you. We ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would come alive in the text, that you would show us what it means uh, to live in this day, in our age, to follow you with abandon, 
to give you um, everything that we have to really put our faith in you. Lord, I pray for uh, my friends today that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to them by your word. In Jesus' name I pray, not my own. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you for standing with me. Maybe you're new to church and you're like, sitting up, down, up, down. Are they just trying to keep me awake? Um, so I'm just glad that you would uh, go through the motions for us, and I hope you feel welcome here. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to be. This is a new campus, really, for a lot of you, right? Uh, we, uh, we just started meeting in the Inlet Theater, and so it's very exciting. It's my first time here, so this is uh, a joy for me to come be with you guys. Acts 27. Wow, what a dramatic uh, chapter, hey? Amazing story. I mean, this is one that you want to read to your kids. So like bookmark it when, they're, when they want a Bible story. This is, it's exciting. It's, it's written in first person. There's a shipwreck. Paul's, you know, giving them instructions or throwing stuff overboard. There's a lot going on. There's so, so much that happens, and we didn't even touch a lot of it. Um, what, I, what I want to talk about today is how to have faith in a storm. Luke is teaching us how to be faithful in a storm, right? We can, we can see that, that Paul has this, this great faithfulness in a storm, and, and Luke, goes, Luke is teaching us how to uh, be faithful in the storm, and he goes about it by telling us the story of how Paul and many others were shipwrecked. So he's teaching us, and so I want to organize this passage really around three ideas, three storms, okay? So there is a storm that is happening to them. Uh, there's a storm that's happening to Paul, and it's not his fault. Right, we saw that quite plainly in the text. Let's not sail during winter. It's a bad idea. We'll get shipwrecked. They sail anyway. So there's a storm that happens to us, or a storms that are caused by those around us. That's the first storm that we're going to talk about today. The second storm is the storms caused by ourselves. The storms caused by ourselves. And the third uh, storm we'll talk about is the storms caused by the enemy. So what I want you to see in this text today, what I, what I think God has to say to you is that the storms that we face can really take us in one of two directions. They can lead us to doubt the love of God, become overwhelmed with despair. That is, how, many, how, how familiar is that for people, right? Like, that, that, that storm has led me to this place to despair for the, you know, minus 300 people on this ship. That's where it had led them. So I want you to see the storms can't, that we face can take us in one of two directions. They can cause us to doubt God's love for us, or, and like they did for Paul, they can actually, the storms in your life can actually turn to be doorways, okay? Doorways for you to experience God's love in a way that you would have never experienced, okay? The storm in your life is not just there to make you suffer. It's, it's also, it could be a doorway for you to experience God's love, some of the greatest experiences of God's love in your life. When we fix our eyes on the cross, as Josh was, was guiding us to and leading us to, when we fix our eyes on the cross, we see, we see an empty cross. We see it, it, it begs the question, who was on that cross? Jesus, this man, this God, stepped into our storm with us, entered into all of our sufferings. He came to meet us in the worst of it. 
Okay, so let's talk about the first kind of storm. Storms caused by those around us. How does Paul have faith in the midst of senseless suffering? That was my first question as I was reading this. I was, how is Paul not just incredibly angry with these people? Like he, he has told that he's, first of all, he's in chains. He's being dragged to Italy. And he doesn't have a choice in the matter. And then he, he has the wisdom and the kindness to say, hey, we shouldn't sail. And they say, we're going to big fat do it anyway. And so they get on the boat anyway. And, sure, and Paul is, right, he's, he's vindicated. A storm does occur. And, and he's right. And, and so how does Paul deal, uh, how does he have faith in this, what seems like quite senseless suffering? The, it seems to me like the sailors and probably the soldiers, were careless, short-sighted. Uh, and Paul warns them, foolishness is going to accept, you know, it's going it's to affect not only my life, but your life and the 200 prisoners with us. It's a bad idea. Let's not do it. Um, and they don't heed his warning. They, they enter into a storm. It's, it seems stupid, right? It seems like the stupidity of these sailors is about to end a lot of people's lives. And it seems like senseless suffering. And so how does Paul maintain faith in that? I don't know if you've ever encountered suffering like that in your life. Where it seems senseless. There's no reason for this. If, if people would just act properly, this wouldn't be happening to you. And so Paul finds himself in a very similar situation. So how does Paul deal with the situation? Did you notice? How does Paul react to the crisis? If you have your Bible, we can go to verse 21. <clears throat> so at the bottom, bottom of the barrel, worst time ever, people are, are so despairing that they have lost their appetites. Probably started to drink seawater, right? They've lost their appetites. Verse 21, Paul stood among them and said, I told you so. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, men, you should have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete, and thereby spared yourselves this damage and loss. Spared yourself this damage and loss, but he doesn't stop speaking there. Many of us would stop speaking there. He doesn't stop. He keeps going. And yet, come on. And yet, now I urge you, keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Okay. So is Paul saying, I told you so? Is he rubbing it in? Right? We kind of read that. That's, I think, a cultural reading. I don't think so. I would argue the opposite. When people were so weary from their voyage, when they had lost all hope, when they had given up on everything, when they abandoned um, living, Paul steps up and leads. What empowers Paul to do that? It's not out of his position, right? He's not, he's not the captain. He's a prisoner. He's in chains. It's not out of his position. It's as a wise guide. He says, you could trust me because I said this was going to happen, right? Remember, we shouldn't sail. So listen to me now. You wouldn't listen to me then, but listen to me now. We're not going to die. We're just going to lose the ship. He gives them hope. He establishes his credibility and gives them hope. How is he able to do this? Luke is, 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 is platforming Paul, but is he, is he putting Paul on a pedestal? Is he saying that we all just, you know, Paul is a hero. 
Paul is the, is the great saint, and we should all try to be hard, try our best and do our, do our hardest work to be exactly like Paul. Is that, what, is that what Luke is communicating? I don't think so. What happened to Paul that enabled him to lead in a situation that he tried to avoid in the first place? Have you ever been in a situation where now you have to lead and you didn't even want to be there in the first place? So what happened to Paul that gave him the strength to do that? Was it just that he's so much better than us? Was it just that he's so much better than me or you? In the very next verse, in verse 23, he says, For this very night, listen, for this very night, an angel of God. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong, whom I also serve, came to me. He gave me encouragement. He said, do not fear. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. That's God's plan. You're going to stand before Caesar. Don't worry about these waves. And behold, God has graciously granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. So Paul's, what enables Paul to step up and lead in a situation that he didn't want to be in the first place? What enables Paul to have faith in the face of senseless suffering? What gives him that ability? It's Paul's experience with God. It's a moment when God entered into Paul's life through Paul's relationship with Jesus the Son. And Jesus imparts to him courage. Jesus imparts to him courage in the storm, the courage he needed to lead in the storm that was happening to him. The uh, late Gordon Fee, who was a professor at Regent, uh, incredible biblical scholar, said this. I won't be on the screen, but... um, He said, for Paul, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was not a matter of creed. Do you guys know what creed means? It's not a matter of truth, not a matter of of doctrine. It wasn't just an idea to Paul. It was the singular reality that conditioned his entire existence. Those sure events radicalize present Christian existence. So then all human judgments are nothing in light of his judgment. So Paul, what enables Paul to lead in this situation of senseless suffering, what enables him to have faith in spite of these waves that are going to rip this ship apart, right, is this idea that Jesus has risen from the dead. It's this, it's this moment of grace that he experiences with God. It's Paul's conviction that God is bigger than the deepest wave, that Paul, Paul is convicted that God has more authority than the soldiers who have him in chains. Okay, Paul believes that God's plan is more important and more powerful than Caesar's plan. That he will be before Caesar because God told me so. And that's what gives him courage. Is Paul the superhero? I think we think, yeah, I think we can say no. Paul's not the superhero. Paul looked to his hero. Right? Paul looked to his hero and it gave him courage. Paul didn't look to the weather. Everyone was looking at the weather. Paul foresaw that the boat would fail. He didn't trust in the skill of the sailors. And so then Paul tells them, keep up your courage, for I believe that God will help us. So when we think about this text, we think, okay, 
So I need to leave today, and I need to go be very courageous. That's what I need to do. I need to go be a courageous Christian. Is that what the text is teaching us? Let's be careful. Don't rush to conclusions. The storms we face can take us in one of two directions. They can, t- they can lead us into despair, and I've been there. Right? You, can, you, you know when you're talking with somebody, and you're like, oh, yeah, that, they get it. Man, they, they, you know, you can talk to somebody, and it's in their voice, and you can just tell they've been to hell and back, and you know, like, this person has some real-life experience. Right? Storms take us there. They take us to the edge of ourselves. Suffering takes us there. Storms can cause us either to doubt God's love or they can become doorways to the greatest experiences of God's love in our lives. What will you do with the storm that happens to you? The storm from other people's problems, from other people's mistakes in your life. What will you do with that storm? Is scripture calling us to be more courageous? That when we face the hardest storms, the answer is to saddle up anyway. Get tough. Pick yourself up. Be better. Not here anyway. I don't think it is. Uh, Paul says, keep up your courage, boys. Why? If you can't believe, if you can't believe what I'm saying, trust me. If you can't believe that for yourself, trust that I believe it. Trust that I believe it. Trust that I believe in God. And this brings me to my next point, which is the storm in ourselves. Paul surely faces a storm within himself. Paul faces a storm within himself. The scripture is not calling him or us to go and be more courageous about whatever we're facing. Uh, That would be a burden. Right? You're scared? Stop being scared. What? That's not the gospel. There's a wave? Be more courageous. That's not the gospel. That would be a burden. The gospel takes our burdens. It doesn't give us burdens. Scripture is teaching us that courage for the hardest storms, the kind of courage that's contagious, the kind of courage that Paul was able to impart to his fellow sailors, comes from belief. Paul cries out to God in the storm, and God meets him. Right? We know Paul, he's always praying without ceasing. Paul certainly prayed in the storm. Paul certainly saw the waves as the ship was ripping apart, and he prayed, and he overcame his fear. How? By being better than you or being better than me? No. By taking his faith outside of everything that he can see and touch and feel and putting it in Jesus. Locating his faith in God. And, and now when his, hand, when, he, when his life is in God's hands, now he has courage for oceans. Now he has courage for empires. Paul had just enough memory to remember God's love for him and find a doorway in that storm, a doorway to hope, a doorway to belief, a doorway to remember and encounter one of God's greatest experiences of love for him, that God would meet him, that God would send him an angel. I'll remind you of Psalm 34. It says this in verse 17. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. 
Is there a storm in your life? (laughs) The Lord hears his people when you call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That's true in Paul's life. Why is that true? Because Paul didn't call out to wishing on a prayer. Paul didn't call out to hoisting the mainsail and and pulling up the anchor and trying harder. Paul called out to God and said, God, my very life is in your hands. And I locate my belief. I locate what I am in you. And this is a big difference uh, for us and for Paul, people in the West, our faith and people like Paul. See, when you and I uh, think of faith, we think of a, a scent of the mind. We think of a decision that we make to put a value of truth onto something. So I say, oh yeah, that's probably true. And all of our faith is out here. All of our faith is a, is a mental decision we make. I believe that. Yeah, that could be true. I have faith for that, sure. But that's not really philosophically what faith is. Faith, or to put your belief, means you locate that faith in a thing. You put your faith in something. Okay, so the classic example of the chair that you're sitting in, right? You didn't think that this chair may or may not hold me. You looked at it and you trusted the engineering. And you had faith in the engineer that the chair would hold you. This is faith. You're actually locating your faith abstractly in something. And so when, when we believe, it is not simply an idea, we actually enact upon that faith. Our faith requires action, right? Think of what James says. You believe in God, good for you, so do the demons. Show me your works, then I'll see your faith. See, faith without works is dead. For you to say that you believe in God and not live on that belief, in the face of a storm is not faith. That's faith in yourself. Where do we put our faith? We may be okay with the idea that God uses other people's storms to proclaim the gospel, but we're not comfortable with the idea of God using our storms, right? I, don't, I, would, rather, I would much rather God use my strengths and my victories to proclaim his goodness to the world rather than my weaknesses and my failures But it seems like, according to scripture, according to my life, probably yours, it seems like God has a preference for the latter. Isn't that true? It seems that in Paul's life, God uses his weaknesses and his suffering. And we don't like that very much. Many of us put more value on our earthly lives than Paul did. More value on our earthly lives than the one that we claim to follow, than Jesus. Right? We're fine to be Christian, so long as it doesn't interfere with like my career path. I'm really set up for engineering. I don't want to mess that up. So I'll be a Christian as long as it works with my plan. Right? Satisfies my therapeutic need for spirituality, and so I'll add it to my life. But that's not faith. We're okay with uh, Christianity or this idea of belief as long as it doesn't interfere with a more lucrative calling. All the pastors said amen. Right? We're, We're okay with our faith as long as it doesn't interfere with our family goals. 
Remember what Paul said? Actually, it's better if you're single. <laughs> You'll be more effective for Jesus Christ. You're like, no, I had a plan. You know, we were going to get the apartment, then the townhouse, then the single family home. That was the plan. I was going to have kids and grandkids, and I was going to, that's my life. Don't mess with my life. And, there's, and, we, and we encounter storms. We're fine to be Christian if it gives me some spiritual peace. We're fine to be Christian if it seems healthy, right? Less destructive than the other ways that people cope with their stuff. So I'll use religion. But that's not faith. Sometimes I wonder, right, some of these storms that hit us, and, and they're real. We can't, we can't compare suffering. Um, sometimes I wonder how many of us would, <laughs> how we would fare if Christianity was illegal, if, if this was the first century, and we were like Paul and in chains. Uh, think of how you would live as a Christian in 50 AD. Would you be, would you be one? Amen. Right? I, when I think of myself, I imagine myself writing letters to, to friends in faraway churches. I don't imagine myself on a shipwreck. <laughs> I don't imagine myself being stoned for the gospel. And that's a, that's a difficult truth for us to handle. What is my real faith life like today? I was speaking with a man once, and he was incredibly wealthy. And he spent some time in church, uh, but was always on the sideline. Always, right? Just incredibly talented leader, but just never, never gave, never got involved, and uh, never serving, rarely giving. And we're friends to this day, and we had enough trust in our friendship for me to ask him. I said, man, what is holding you back? I mean, you're here all the time. Like, what is the, help me understand the gap. Uh, and I asked him, would you be willing to give it up? Would you if, you, if you did, like, if you had the opportunity, could you give it all up? Like, everything that you have, all the cars, and would you be able to, to follow Jesus? And listen to what he said. Remember, I wrote it in a note on my phone because it really sat with me. He said, John, I'll tell you something. If Jesus was sitting right here and he asked me to do it, I would do it. And I, I was like, oh, all right. Or just kind of didn't know what to say. I thought it seemed kind of reasonable. And as I understand this sort of thinking more, the more I actually agree with it, and that might put you off, so track with me. Okay. Without a true and real experience of God, without a true and vivid encounter with Jesus, it makes no sense to follow him. Without a true and real experience of Jesus, your heart will ev forever, it will forever be averse to the ways of Jesus. So look at your faith today. Think about it. Is my life averse to the ways of Jesus? I need an experience with him. I need to come to him. And why would God design it that way? Why would he make it? Why is that so true? Why would that be true? Because God wants it that way. Because he wants that relationship. He wants you to have to be in relationship with him. That's what he made you for. So you're going to forever experience storms outside of him. 
To know him is to love him. To align with him is to follow him. To believe in him is to surrender to him. We, uh, a counselor made this um, observation, David Benner said, we glibly talk about a personal relationship with Jesus <laughs> and, and our relationship with him is, uh, what does he say? Our relationship with him is more casual than our rare acquaintances. <laughs> when in actuality, we, we talk about, oh yeah, Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. It's like, man, when is the last time you spent some time with him? Like, we just don't, we just don't, we can't, we live in this contradiction. And God didn't make us to live in that contradiction. He made us to be with him. In Paul's case, the mystery is uncovered. How is Paul able to have faith? How is he able to encourage, to put courage inside of other people in the midst of a storm to give his very life, to give his livelihood? How is he able to do this all for the work of the gospel? Because he knew him. Because he knows Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, Jesus imparts that to you. He gives that to you from that relationship. When, when you spend time with your greatest friend and you walk away from that friend date, how do you feel? Is your life different? Do you see the world differently? Do they give you fresh perspective? Are you enabled to love others more because you have now been shown real love? Do you see what relationship with Christ means? It's because, it's because Paul knew him. Because he had an encounter with God on that boat. And once you know him, there's no, there's no storm that God can't use to help you experience his love. The storms we face can take us in one of two directions. They can cause us to doubt God's love for us, or they can actually turn out to be doorways to experience God's greatest love for us. Right? We talk about this vision of Jesus on the cross millennia ago. Right? And so how do we experience it? In the storm. In the storm. The last storm we face is the enemy. The enemy who wants to rob us of our love for Jesus. He wants to cause you to doubt God's love in the midst of the storm. He wants to make you forget. He, he, he knows your heart's prone to wander. And so he makes you feel it. Right? So how do we come to Jesus when the enemy is causing the storm around me? We look to Paul. What is Paul doing? Even though he's in chains, even though he's being persecuted for the gospel, right? He finds Christ in the middle of his storm. He has an experience with God. And even Paul's persecutions, even even Paul's persecutions, even the enemy trying to silence Paul, even the enemy trying to end Paul's life is an opportunity, is a doorway for Paul to experience God's love. And so do you see that the way of, the, the way of Christ is downward? The way of Christ is, is lifting up all this weakness, lifting up all this failure and saying, God, you can move in this. And so if you have, if you're going through a place and a, and a stage, I don't know, right, like, Difficult times where you, you're losing your voice because you're screaming into the pillow so hard. Like, God wants to be there. God wants to be there. A Canadian psychiatrist named John White once said, Satan's supreme object 
is to hurt Christ and to hurt Christ's cause. That's what he wants to do. You, personally, are of no interest to him. You're like, oh, really? I thought I was kind of interesting. <laughs> like, no. You, personally, are of no interest to him. It is only as you relate to Christ that you assume significance in the enemy's eyes. It's only as you relate to Christ that you assume significance in the enemy's eyes. And, and this, is, this is the beauty of the Christian faith, is that when we enter into our sufferings, whether they're ridiculous storms that are happening for senseless reasons in our world and they're just including me because I'm caught in the crossfire, or whether it's storms that I have caused in my own life, because of my own sin, because of my own wrongdoing, because of the things that I have done, or whether they are storms of the enemy, we can, we can find Christ there. You can find him there. You can find Jesus in the midst of the storm. There is an opportunity to doubt his love. There is an opportunity to doubt what is true, what is real. But there's also a doorway, right? There's also a doorway that, that for me, that's a helpful image, just to open and remember the cross. Remember to look where in all the world, where in all history is God's love most poignant? On the cross. On the cross. That's where he demonstrated and proved it for all time. So if I ever doubt his love, if I can just look, if I can just open that doorway in my storm and remember the love of the, of the Father, demonstrated in Jesus Christ the Son on the cross for me, Incredible experiences of God's love take place. So I don't know where you're, where you're coming from today. Maybe you would say you're agnostic to faith. You're here because mom drug you, right? Dragged you, not drugged you. <laughs> maybe both, right? But maybe somebody brought you here. Maybe you have to be here. Maybe you're interested by this. Maybe you're offended. I've said some pretty crazy things. I've said that what happened 2,000 years ago uh, determines all existence for all reality for all time. That's kind of an offensive statement if you don't align with it, right? I, I would ask you, what do you do in the storm? Right? Do you just close your eyes and wait till it's over? That, I don't know the other way. Right? There isn't another way. <laughs> There's a doorway in the storm. Maybe you're, maybe you're reminded of your belief today. You're saying, yeah, okay, that's good. I need that. I need to know that my belief is in a location. It's in Jesus Christ, the Son. It's outside of me. I can hold on to him. And no matter how, how harsh the storm is, he is my stronghold. That, that that's true for you today. To, to not just think it, Right? Even the demons think that kind of stuff. They don't act on it. Believe on God. Step onto him. Make him your foundation today. We're going to go to a time of communion. Um, so Josh and the band and the servers, you guys can get ready. As we, as we come to the table together, we are remembering that on the back of Satan's neck, right, is a nail-scarred footprint, okay? That Jesus, that Jesus has defeated Satan's sin and death. That we can look to him in the middle of our storm. That we can look to him and trust in him. Now, if you know the end of the story, 
Paul does make it. He does make it. And God did honor Paul. And Paul goes into another storm. And Paul dies in the next one. Was God still with him? Yes. Think of your life. Do you value this life so much more than the life to come that you would, that you would trade eternity away for momentary pleasure? How fleeting is life? To cope through a storm, to just move past this gospel that could affect all time, if it's even possibly true, we need to wrestle with that. We need, we need to trust God with that. So as we come to the table today, what we're doing is remembering that Jesus on the night when he was betrayed and killed, took bread after supper, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So often as you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And he took a cup of wine after supper, and he said, this cup is, the blood of my, is my blood of the new covenant, of my new promise that you will be resurrected with me. So Paul says in Corinthians, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim Christ's death and his resurrection until he comes again. And we're reminding ourselves of this hope that whether life faces me tomorrow, whether death faces me tomorrow, whether it's shipwreck or whether it's sandy beaches, okay, that I put my trust in God. I want to pray for us. There's some instructions on the screen for us as we do as we celebrate in communion together. Um, there's going to be two stations that will be available at the front um, with natural uh, or packaged bread and juice options. Each row will be dismissed to take communion starting at the front. Once the row in front of you is seated, uh, your row is free to receive communion. And why are we doing that? I mean, you guys probably know this better than me, but it's some small aisles, right? So we want to be respectful and love. But I will say this, as you, as you come to the table today, expect more from communion. Expect that this is worship. Expect that God might meet you here and ask him to speak to you in this as we sing and we receive the bread together. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, time to share in, uh, in the body, in the blood today, in, in this bread and this juice. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. God, I pray for my friends. Um, some of them I know well. Some of them just today. But Lord, we, are, we face storms, financial storms. We face family storms. We face suffering. We face so many things. And you are such a good God that you would come out of heaven and enter into it and sit with us in it and tell us that you are with us, that you will redeem and restore all of our losses. So we come to you today. We celebrate the victory that we have now and will experience in the resurrection. We celebrate you, Jesus, for what you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So come and receive as the instructions say. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.